Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. So I hope you're ready. Man, uh, the other day, uh, my five-year-old son and I were on our way home from a night out just as dudes. All right, we're having a little guy time. So we decided to swing through a local fast food establishment that I'll just choose to uh, leave remain unnamed at this moment. Uh, to swing through the drive-thru to grab a couple of drinks on our way home. We pulled up to the drive-thru at this establishment. There's really only one car in front of us, and it appeared there's only one person in that car in front of us. So I was like, man, nothing to this. This will be quick. We'll get our drinks, get home. He'll be home in time for bed. And uh, so the car in front of us took their order. They pulled up ahead of us. We pulled in. The girl on the other end of the intercom, super helpful, super kind. She took the order. We pulled up to wait. And so the car in front of us with one person in it, remind you, uh, is waiting at the drive-thru line. Some of you getting ahead of me. Don't, don't, don't beat me. All right. You know where I'm going. And so they're waiting on their order. So we pull up. We're just having fun, man. And we've got the radio playing softly. We're laughing. We're joking. We're just being buds. And uh, we waited. And, uh, and, and we waited some more, and, uh, and we waited a little bit longer. It seemed like we waited, two drinks, that's all we ordered. It seemed like we waited for 15 minutes. Now, it may have only been three or four, but 15 makes the story sound so much better, right? And how many of you know that five minutes in the drive through line can feel like five days? Anybody else with me? Okay, don't leave me alone in this. And so we waited, and we waited. And, and, and the longer we waited, okay, all right, don't judge me here, but the longer we waited, I got a little bit frustrated internally, right? And then we waited a little bit longer, and I allowed my internal frustration to go external, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? I, I didn't yell, all right? I didn't tell them what I thought about them or tell them what number they were, all right? But I, I began to allow my internal frustration to go out externally, and so I began to say some things like, man, what in the world is taking so long? Like, this is crazy. Like, like how much could one person really order? Because the car in front of us is still sitting there, and I'm like, how much could one person order? Like, this, this is crazy. Are we really, are we really waiting this long for drinks? And I kid you not, I kid you not, as soon as that complaining came out of my mouth, my five-year-old from the back seat pipes up. And he goes, what in the world's going on? Good gracious, we've been waiting here for like a hundred hours. We just want our drinks. This is crazy. Hashtag parenting fail. <laughs> and in that moment, I had this thought. I thought, oh no, look what I've done with me and my big mouth, Right? And today we're kicking off a brand new series entitled just that, Me and My Big Mouth. And man, I'm really excited that you came back this week, all right? Knowing that that's what we're going to talk about, that you didn't run, that you came back to man to hear about what does God's word have to say about the power of our words? Because here's what it does say. It says that our words are powerful. And our words have the ability to give life, and they also have the ability to take life. Here's what Jesus would say in scripture. He would say that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in this series, in these weeks together, we're going to talk about the words that we speak. And we're going to talk about how to begin to allow God to do a transforming work in our heart, in our mind, and in our mouth to allow us to begin to speak words that would give life. Now, during this series, my goal is to pass on to you some wisdom, ultimately from God's word, but also from some teachers and some thinkers much smarter than me around some pretty heavy topics. We're just going to go ahead and I'll let you know where we're headed. Uh, we're going to talk about lying. We're going to talk about criticizing and we're going to talk about gossiping. But today we're going to talk about the topic of complaining, complaining. 
Now, my story that I just told you a second ago lets you know that I have in every way mastered the art of complaining. So I am totally the one that you should be listening to, right? No. Man, there's so many times where complaining, a a complainant spirit gets the best of me. And maybe if you are really honest, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but maybe if you're really honest today, you go, know what? It happens in me too. And so today, what I hope you see also through my story is not just how I feel in that area, but how you would see that the spirit of complaining not only affects us, but it also begins to affect others around us as well. For some of you, maybe it's your kids. For some of you, it's your parents or your spouse or your friend or a classmate or coworkers, or you insert the blank. You see, in so many ways, a spirit of complaining not only begins to take over and control and affect us, but it also begins to affect others around us as well. And so today, we're going to look at some truth from Scripture about how to overcome the trap and the curse of complaining in our life. If you have a copy of Scripture, we're going to go to the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, about halfway through the second half of your Bible. If you've got a hard copy, we'd love for you to open that in your lap. If you've got a digital copy on your phone or whatever device you've got, man, love for you to use the Bible app and track along with us. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. It's going to take us a few minutes to get there, so you're going to have a minute or so to find it. And also, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, we're going to put some verses from the translation I'll be reading from behind me so that you can track along with where we're going to be. When I think about complaining uh, in the Bible, the very first place my mind goes back to is the Old Testament. I go back to God's chosen people, the Israelites. If you're familiar with their story, when they were in captivity as slaves for hundreds of years, they complained, they complained, and they complained. But yet God did miracle after miracle after miracle. He issued 10 different miraculous plagues to turn the heart of Pharaoh He parted the Red Sea. He drowned Pharaoh's army. He fed them with bread from heaven and water from rocks. He kept clothes on their back that never ran out for hundreds of years. Yet what did God's people do if you read the story in the Old Testament? They griped, they whined, and they complained. And it's almost comical how similar their attitude was even to mine the other night in the drive-thru line. I want you to see some of this dialogue in the Old Testament. Exodus 14, look at this. Verse 11, it says, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Uh, What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, hey, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. Check this out. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Does that not sound like so many of us so much of the time? And to make it worse, Moses said something that should really stun and kind of silence all of us. He says, you're not grumbling against me. You're not grumbling against us. Well, who were they complaining against? Well, if you read into Scripture, you can really see that they were complaining against God. They were complaining against God. So I want you to imagine today and begin to think that what if the complaining in our life, right? What if the complaining in our life wasn't really about our circumstances? It wasn't really about the traffic or our spouse or that relationship or our coworkers. But what if really our complaining was ultimately against God? What if God hears our complaining that way? You see, what I want to do today is I want to take these story, the story and these truths from Scripture in Philippians 2, where we'll land in a second, and I want to help personalize it for you today. As a high school student, as a mom, dad, single parent, grandparent, I want you to begin to understand how can a spirit of complaining begin to affect and change your life, and how can God begin to alter that in you? So to do that, I want us to all ponder and think about this one question to get started. What is it that you complain about the most? 
What is it that you complain about the most? I'm going to give you a second to think about it. Okay, let it kind of just rise to the surface, come to your mind. For some of you, it's real quick. For some of you, it's a couple of different things. For some of you need help, just lean over and ask your spouse. They'll tell you, okay? What is it that you complain about the most? For me, one of the things I complain about a lot is my schedule. That, man, I've got a meeting here and this demand here and there's this person that wants to do this. Complain, complain, complain. Wow, wow, wow. Poor me. It's all about that. But what about you? What is it that you complain about the most? For some of you, maybe you complain because you're not married. Man, I wish I was married. I wish God would give me a spouse. Then you get married and you complain about your spouse just because you got to keep it going, right? For some of you, you complain because the money's tight. Or you complain because the house is too small, or the car doesn't run like you want it to, or you complain because your boss drives you crazy, or your employees drive you crazy, or you complain because the meetings are so boring, or your parents get on your last nerve, right? For some of you, it's big stuff. For some of you, it's smaller stuff. Like, you complain because the weather's too bad, right? Like, you started whining last week when it got into the 80s, and guess what God did for you today, okay? He's like, here you go, 35 again. You like that? Some of you complain because the Wi-Fi is too slow. This is horrible. I got no reception. Or you complain because there's nothing to watch on TV. You see, the spirit of complaining is so easy to come up inside of us. And so I want to go ahead and just kind of clarify for us from the beginning of today and really the beginning of the whole series, I want you to lean in, that the problem is not the weather. The problem's not the traffic. The problem's not that Netflix hasn't come out with a new original content that you're dying to see, Okay. The problem is, here it is, the problem is that we've taken our eyes off the goodness of God and we've locked them dead center on ourselves. See, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we could say today from the beginning that that a spirit of complaining really is a heart issue, that it really comes back to the heart. And so today, man, if you're struggling in the area of complaining, the first thing we all have to do is a heart check on ourselves. Today, I want us to look further at this text that you've opened to, Philippians chapter 2, written by Apostle Paul. Maybe some of you have seen the movie that's out right now about Paul. And listen to me, if there's anybody who had the right to complain, it was Paul. Like anybody in all scripture had the right to complain, Paul was one of the top ones. Why? If you know Paul's story, here's here's his deal. Paul's desire was to go to Rome and be a preacher. He wanted to go and and preach the gospel to, to the Romans. He knew that this was one of the most powerful, influential places in the world. And if he could begin to win people in Rome, he ultimately could begin to change the world. It's a pretty healthy desire, I would say. Pretty in line with God's will. He desires to go to Rome as a preacher, but here's what happens if you know his story. Paul ultimately is arrested, and instead of going to Rome as a preacher, he goes to Rome as a prisoner. And for almost two years, he's locked in prison 24 hours a day. And if anybody had the right to complain, it was Paul. As he sat in a prison cell, locked to a Roman guard, awaiting his possible execution. And I'll just be honest today, okay? Just being real with you, like you heard my story a while ago, so you kind of know my track record. If I'm in Paul's place, I'm going to find a lot of reasons to complain to God. All right, just being real with you. God, like, what are you doing? Like, I've served you. I've followed you. Like, this is the desire of my heart to come to Rome, to bring your truth here. And look what you've done to me. Like, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been snake bitten. I've been left for dead. And now I'm in prison, really, for two years, God? Like, this is what I get after I want to serve you and follow you with my life. The bed's hard. The food ain't good. And the guards, they stink too. That's what would have been my response. But if you look at the story of Scripture... Instead of complaining, instead of whining, instead of telling God how God got it wrong, Paul responded so differently. And he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And here's what Paul writes, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Look at it. 
He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. What a crazy high standard that Paul sets. He says, whatever you do, wherever you are, whether in word or deed, do it all. Did you catch it? Without grumbling or complaining. Without grumbling or complaining. See, there's a lot of spiritual reasons why we should not live with a spirit of complaining. And we're going to get to some of those, but there's some practical reasons as well. I'd love to highlight one of those. Um, A guy by the name of Dr. Travis Bradbury wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. He did a lot of research around this idea of complaining and how that plays in our mind. And what he says is that repeated complaining, repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do guess what? More complaining. That's right, more complaining. In other words, the more negative you are, the more likely your brain is going to be triggered to continue to be negative. And he and others talk about what it means to to live in this negative mindset. He says, before long, we enter what's called confirmation bias. In other words, you expect something to be bad, therefore you get what you expect. Maybe we could say it this way. Maybe for somebody in the room today, maybe there's more than one person, maybe you've decided that you don't really like church, that religion and faith is not really for you. Now, you, maybe you got drugged here today because your spouse begged you to come. They told you what the title of the series was, and you went, uh-huh. Or maybe a coworker or a friend or a classmate like begged you to be here, and you're here just to kind of get them off your back. Maybe they'll buy you lunch afterwards. But maybe for you, you kind of live, in essence, with this confirmation bias. Your preconceived ideas when you walk into the room are confirmed because your expectations are already so negative. It doesn't just have to do with church, but it takes place in a lot of different areas of our life. If we think about it, maybe you have that confirmation bias towards a restaurant. Or maybe it's towards a particular person or a friend or a boss. Or maybe it's even a clothing brand or the way that you view marriage or a genre of music. See, if you expect it to be bad, oftentimes, guess what? You're going to get what you expect. That was the case with the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were negative when they were in captivity. And then God frees them out of captivity, and guess what they do? They're still negative because they're, maybe their brains had begun to be programmed to think this way. And I don't know about you, but, man, that's an incredibly dangerous place to live. What a sad place to live. And just as, to admit to you, to be real with you today, as somebody who, who may struggle sometimes with the area of complaining, man, my desire as I grow in Christ is not to always look and see the negative around me. Our world is filled with enough negative already, is it not? Then what would it look like for me to begin to allow God to change my mind, which ultimately changed my mouth, to think about that what is right, what is good, what is noble, what is pure, Scripture says, what is helpful and hopeful. That's what God calls us to. And when you look at Paul, The way he lived in the midst of all he faced, he taught many different times, and he would communicate a truth very similar to this. This is the first truth I want us to grab onto today. If you can change your circumstances, then do something about it. If you can change your circumstances, then do something about it. If there are negative circumstances, something that's unpleasant in your life, something that's not right, something that you wish that you could change, and you can do something about it, then do something about it. In other words, God didn't call us to go through life pretending like everything's okay when it's not really okay. Now, it's not a sin for us to notice something that's not right around us. I think where the line begins to be drawn is where we begin to lean towards complaining and whining about what's not right around us and not do something about it. You see, if you can do something about changing your circumstances, then do something. If you look at the Old Testament, there's another guy by the name of Nehemiah. 
And Nehemiah in the Old Testament recognized that the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. And he became upset about it. But you know what Nehemiah didn't do? He didn't complain, complain, complain. This is the worst thing ever. Oh my goodness, the people are so vulnerable. Why didn't somebody else do something about this? No, Nehemiah took action. And he began to work to change the circumstances around you. So for you today, if there's something that you dislike, if there's something, listen to me, that causes a righteous dissatisfaction in you, a godly discomfort, if you look at something around you and go, that's not in line with God's plans and God's purposes, and it's not right, then listen to me, don't complain about it. Don't post something on social media about it. No, get up and do something about it. James would say, let your faith, let your belief turn into actions. And so what we see here is that if there's a negative situation and you can change it, then hear me, through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, begin to take action, begin to change it. But Paul goes on and he, he says and teaches some things like this. I want you to see the second phrase. If you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. If you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. Paul says if you can do something about it, then by all means do something about it. But if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. Change what you say about it. Change how you think about it. Change how you see the circumstances. Later in Philippians 2, Paul makes these powerful statements as he's chained to a Roman soldier awaiting his possible execution. Here's what Paul writes. Look at, look at this. Philippians 2, verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says here in verse 17, he says, but even if, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, I am still glad. Now, maybe for those of you who are not super familiar with Scripture, you may read that and go, what is, that? what is he saying when he's saying, if I'm poured out like a drink offering? Well, in this phrase here, in the original Greek language, there's just one word that's translated into that whole phrase. It's the word spindo, spindo, which really means like to spend all is what Paul's saying here. Now, in these days, a priest would make a burnt sacrifice or an offering, burnt offering to God. They would take a lamb or an animal and they would lay it on the altar and they would burn it but then they would put a drink offering with it. And so they would take the most valuable, the most expensive um, liquid or drink that they have, maybe it would be wine or honey, and they would pour that drink offering on the burnt offering, and the smoke would rise, and it would go as an aroma incense offering to God. So that's what Paul's talking about. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, here's what he says, yet I'm still glad. And in verse uh, 18 that we read, he says, and I want you to be glad with me. Now, some people think that when Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, that maybe he was looking ahead to, to think about his ultimate martyrdom and his death for Jesus. But I want you to see this verse kind of from a different angle, because the verb that Paul uses here is a passive present tense verb. He says, even if I am being poured out, not even if one day I'm going to be poured out, but he says, even as I am being poured out right now. In other words, Paul says, my sacrifice to God is my everyday life of giving up myself, of sacrificing, of being poured out for God. That's why in Romans 12, he would write this in verse 1, if you're familiar with it. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He wasn't saying to burn yourself up, but he's saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
So he's saying worship for us. It's not just 60 minutes inside of a church building once a week where we sing some songs and raise our hands and close our eyes. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that worship goes so much larger. Worship is wherever you are in whatever you do, even chained to a Roman guard on the floor in a prison cell. He says, yet I will still praise you. This is my act of worship. Now, here's the million dollar question. Paul's a normal dude, just like us. So the question has to be raised, how could Paul be in prison, chained to a Roman guard, and offer praise and worship to God? How did he do it? I think he did it this way. Paul was not the center of his story. Paul was not the center of his story. Jesus was the center of Paul's story. And because Jesus was the center of Paul's story, Paul was able to change his perspective about a negative circumstance and allow God to begin to get glory and work through him and around him. This is why Paul said this, and I don't, I don't miss this. This is so good. If you flip back over to Philippians 1, all right, he's chained to a guard. Remember, 24 hours a day, chained to a new guard every eight hours, like the new guys on shift. New guys on shift, all right, take the chains off, hook up to you. Here's what Paul says in that moment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, look at it. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. You, you, you think I'm the prisoner here. Like from the outside, as I write you this letter, that's what you think. You think I'm the prisoner here. Let me tell you who the prisoner really is. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, every eight hours, I get a fresh set of ears. Every eight hours, I get one of the most powerful people in Rome hooked up to me for eight more hours, and they get a brand new fresh message. You think I'm the prisoner here. Like so many people would look and go, this is the negative circumstance. But listen to me, all throughout the palace guard, it's becoming known that I'm in chains for Christ and God is using my situation to advance the gospel even in the prison. That's what Paul said. You see, for you today as a student, as a parent, single adult, grandparent, if you're in a place today that you don't like, recognize that God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. God still has an assignment. And you may not like it there. It may be the last place that you would ask for. But here's what Paul realized. That God can use any circumstance when we surrender and open ourselves up to him for his glory and our good. And he can push it forward through you. I heard a quote this week. It's so powerful. Get ready. Write this one down. He, it said this. We often ask God to be glorified in our life and then complain about how he chooses to do it. We often ask God to be glorified in our life and then complain about how he chooses to do it. I think Paul got that one right, at least in this moment. Think about it. Paul's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. So I ask you, what are you chained to? What are you chained to? Ladies, don't say your husband, although it may be a very difficult relationship. What are you chained to? Maybe you're chained to a job and career situation that you don't know if you're going to be able to get out of anytime soon. Maybe you're chained to a financial struggle and you got yourself in a hole and you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you're chained to a health struggle or a difficult relationship. See, the list could go on and on and on. Let me just say this to you. If you can do something about your situation, 
then do something. Okay? If you can pray and you can pray, then pray. If you can work harder, you work harder. If you can seek counsel, you go get some counseling. If you can get help from one another, get help. If you can connect with community that can hold you up, then you connect with community. If you can do something about it, then do something about it. But but if you can't change your circumstances, then all, by all means, begin to change your perspective. Change the way you look at it. Change the way you think about it. Change the way you speak about it. Paul here, he understood that if I can't change it, I can choose to see God's presence and his power even in the middle of it. I heard another quote this week that said this, when you complain, you take power away from yourself and you give power to the thing you're complaining about. The thing gets stronger and you get weaker. If you want to get stronger, stop complaining. See, here's the truth. Today, this afternoon, with what I'm presenting to you, tomorrow, all next week, we all have a choice to make. You can make it today, and you have to make it again tomorrow morning, or tomorrow at least by lunchtime, and probably tomorrow night when you get home and deal with kids, and next Wednesday when your boss goes crazy. We can all make a decision. We all have to make a decision to complain, to gripe, and to whine, or we can change the way we look at things. And we can begin to say, I can't do anything about this, but I can choose to look for God in it. I can ask him to do something in me while I'm in the middle of it. I may not be perfect on the other side, but I can ask that God would begin to change my character more into the image of Christ that he created me in. I may have to pray more passionately because of it. I may have to lean more on the goodness and the grace of God in the middle of it. I may grow more intimately and strengthen my faith because of it. It may draw me into more intimate relationship with God through this. And it may raise up in me, check this, I may raise up in me a spirit of compassion for other people who may have to walk through it too. And you may wake up five years from now and look back and realize now you have a voice into someone's life because God delivered you through it. See, if you can do something about it, if you can change your circumstances, then change it the power of the Spirit in you. But if you can't change the circumstance, at least begin to change your perspective about it. Love the phrase that Paul used there. He says, even if, even if at this moment I'm being poured out, even if I'm not getting what I'm praying for, even if this doesn't seem that it's passing, even if I never get to do the thing that I long to accomplish with my life, he says, even if, yet I will still rejoice. What powerful words. Why? Because in the middle of this thing that I never asked for, Paul was seeing a glimpse of the goodness of God. He's still using me. He's still in me. He's working through me. He's accomplishing something in me and around me. And I don't know what that look like may look like for you, but for you it may look like, man, even if the migraines or the doubt or the anxiety won't go away, even if the relationship doesn't change. Even if I go to bed every night crying myself, praying to sleep, I will continue to pray, believing that God's power and His perfect His strength in me. His strength is perfect in me. Even if, even if the, I don't find the job next week, even if they do lay me off, even if I can't get out of this relationship with my parents, I'll choose to thank God for them, for the blessing in my life. Whatever it is, even if, even if, 
I'm still going to choose to trust the nature and the character and the faithfulness of God, the scripture says, continues to all generations. And that means you. See, if you can change and do something about your circumstances, then do it. But if you can't, we have to begin to change the way that we think about it. How do you do it? How do you do it? What I want you to see and write down this truth. When Jesus is the center of your story, it changes how you see your life. When Jesus is the center of your story, it changes how you see your life. You see, when you allow Jesus to take lordship and leadership in your life and he gets on the throne of your life, and listen to me, God's purposes and God's plan and God's truth, when it begins to take priority in your life, it changes the way that you live. And it changes your mind, and it changes your heart, and ultimately has the power to change your mouth. I like what David said in the Old Testament. David was a guy, a lot like me, maybe like you, he complained a lot. (laughs) He had a lot on him, he did, but he complained a lot. But there was a moment in Psalm where he had this really powerful revelation, and he wrote these words, Psalm 103, verse 1, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Listen to me today. If you're struggling, if you're honest and you're struggling in the area of complaining, maybe it's everyday small stuff. Maybe it's a big circumstance that you've got yourself in. And my desire is that just like David, that you would begin to see and understand and realize the goodness of God in your life, that his plans are still there, his purposes are still real, and his promises are still available, even in the present pain that you are in. What does God do, David said? He forgives all my sins. He redeems my life from death. Thank you, Jesus. And he crowns me with love and with mercy, and he fills my life with good things. Uh Uh-uh. It's all how you look at it. Yet I will still praise him with everything that I am. Here's what I know. Life, life can be difficult. And some of you are having to deal with some very difficult situations right now. And I want you to hear today, man, if, if you can change your circumstances, then by all means, through the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive in you if you walk in Christ, man, do something about it. Don't complain about it, but get up and do something. Take action. Let your faith move you to action. But if you can't change your circumstances, small or big, then would you begin to change the way that you think and talk and view those things? Choose not just to see what's wrong, but choose to see what might be right. Don't get lost in focusing on the chaos of the situation, but find God's goodness in it. See his power. See his plan. Remind yourself of his forgiveness in your life and declare that I will not give my flesh a moment an inkling of a way to begin to complain, but instead I'm going to replace it with the truth and the goodness and the perspective of God's goodness and faithfulness in my life. That's how Paul did it. In the middle of a prison cell, chained to a guard for almost two years of his life, longing to be a preacher, but ultimately finding himself as a prisoner. And then he writes these letters and he says, you too, you too can do it. Whatever you're in, wherever you are, whether in word or deed, Do it all. Do it all as a representative of Christ without grumbling or complaining. Even if, even if my greatest desire does not come true, even if my prayer is not answered right now, even if it's not where I want to be 
I will remember that his presence is with me, his forgiveness is over me, and his power is in me. And therefore, Paul says, therefore, I will refuse to complain, but I will choose to praise him with all that I am in any and every situation. And I will refuse to complain, but I will let him have control over my mind, over my heart, over my mouth, and over my life. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.